Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. How y'all? Man, it's good to see you, good to see you. Wait a second, no, no, no. I'm in the wrong medium. If I'm talking about good to see you, I'm clearly mixed up. I don't know even good to see. I don't even know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at my dog, and the dog is protecting me. The dog's right here behind me, keeping me safe. From ISIS, my anti-ISIS dog. That's right. So welcome in. I hope that uh, I hope this show finds you well. Uh, I'm stoked and ready to rock and roll. And uh, my folks in chat, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire up chat right now. Right now. All you ready? Here we go. Let's see here. Supposed to be working, but we don't know. There you go. All right, so chat folks, I'm sorry I'm late clicking that in. I usually, I usually, uh, welcome. I usually um, just, uh, and and chat folks, by the way, by the way, you've reached the collision of faith and politics with the Ninja Pastor. And uh, how about last week's show? Let me just, let me just, let me just put that out there for consumption. Last week's show, Pastor Carl Gallup's, we had fun, did we not? Oh, yes, we did. We had a lot of fun. And uh, Pastor Gallup's informed me that uh, that he had a lot of fun, too, and that he's eager to come back on. So I'm eager to have him back on because he's awesome. And a lot of people said uh, that uh, sounded like, uh, hey, how am I sounding? Folks in chat, I know you guys are, your feedback is really good. Uh, we tried some new microphone settings this week, and so let me know how it is. Um, but uh, Pastor Gallup's, a lot of people said, man, you and him are twins. Amazing, 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 amazing. Uh, and uh, and I have to I have to confess, it it <laughs> I don't know, man. The dude and me we're we're a few years uh, difference in age, but uh, I got to tell you. And hey, to my buddy Wes, by the way, my buddy Wes got a broken plane down in Nashville, and uh, just you know, we miss you, brother. We're glad to have you back. We missed you yesterday at our Kehala. Hopefully, you can dial in. He's going to try to dial in. Uh, he's stuck down there, and uh, no, he's stuck in Florida. The worst place to be stuck in Florida than the Nashville. Then all right, brother. All right. Uh, so anyhow, all that said to say this: that thank you, y'all, for uh, your feedback. It's awesome on the sound quality. We're always trying to improve this. That's what 
when folks uh, make donations uh, to, they go to theninjapastor.com and they and they click on uh, donate. You know, your what you donate to this ministry goes right back into this. I mean, this is this is what we do, and uh, and everything else we do. So it's all about that. And I want you to know that I I take every penny seriously. And um, so anyway, because this is how we do it. That's how we make this thing happen. So. Fear not, only believe, and the right to fight. Uh, first hour of the show, uh, we're going to modify a little bit of what we did uh, last night. Uh, and I tell people I've never been more. Uh, I'll work the. Uh, I will. I'll just say this. Um, and you don't. You won't hear me. Oh, hello to Andrea Shea King. I love. That's my sister right there. Uh, she's she's joining us. What an honor to have her. And uh, she is, let me tell you something, folks, awesome. And you should listen to her show. She doesn't play around. She does not play around. I, I Man, <laughs> she kicks butt. So, and welcome back. We're glad to have you. I know you went to a beautiful place. I love that place where you just came from. Uh, but uh, we really, 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 we really, I, I don't say this often. Most people know that I don't throw a lot of church words around, but I have never felt more anointed to deliver a message than the one I delivered last night. And part of that, we have not had, looking over the response now from, wow, uh, the response from last night was the strongest we've ever had on a Sunday broadcast. So, um, you know, I got a lot of requests to do it again, uh, but I've modified it a little bit. But I just, I've never felt more anointed to deliver a message than this. So I hope you can follow me to so the first hour or thereabouts. I don't know that it'll go an hour because you know me. Uh, you know, we'll do that. But then the second hour, I'm going to deliver uh, a message to you. Uh, truly, what the – come on, Christians. You know, well, the first one is going to lead into the second one. But we need to understand that, that there, there's an onus upon us, a scriptural onus upon us, to do what we're supposed to do as Christians. But so many people don't know what we're supposed to do. And, and I've been leading up to this message for about three to four weeks. I have been, um, for the past three to four weeks, I guess it has been, we've been leading up to this message where uh, we give you from Scripture the detailed, fully and complete. And I'll finish that one today. Uh, and then what do we have? We have Friday. We have Christmas, right? So a lot of this is going to have to do with that. A lot of people have asked me about my good friend, Chris Cahalan. Let me tell you what. He is an awesome dude, uh, and he is uh, he is confounding. December fifteenth, he had one of the most elaborate, serious, and and uh, really risky surgeries you can have. Uh, it was almost half a day he's in surgery. So um, unbelievable, huge surgical team, and they are beyond amazed at Chris Kalen's um, what he's done. It's it's unreal. He was walking. I don't know how. I, I really don't know how. So he's got some he's got some issues, but the, the surgery went better than they thought. He had a lot of cancer inside his body, his pancreas cancer, as you guys know. 46-year-old dude, beautiful family, wonderful, wonderful family. Uh, one of the best dudes I've ever met in my life. He's going to be back on the show, uh, you know, once we get him off of these uh, off these pain drugs. Because he's in, I believe he's in intensive care still, but he's blowing their minds. They don't even, they don't even know what to do with the supernatural healing that's going on in this guy. So uh, it's pretty awesome. Now, keep praying 
and keep letting him know. Go to our our website, theninjapastor.com. By the way, we're uh, in the process. Uh, all right, Brother West, he's down in Florida listening in. And good to have you. And uh, always good to have West listening. And um, I have to say, yeah, I get choked up when I think about this because I've been there on this one. I've been on the other side of it. Soldier's Christmas, a song. Uh, it's more than a song. It's so much more than a song. My buddy Dave Bray, of uh, you've heard, you guys have heard Dave Bray on here. He's been on here, and Samuel Fishman and Richard McCurshin. I don't even. I don't know if I. I know I massacre Rich's name, but he's the manager of Madison Rising, founder manager. I have to tell you, Madison Rising. If you've not heard of them, go to my website. Uh, go to my Facebook page. While you're there on the Facebook page, click on uh, follow and. And uh, but you'll go to the God and Country Radio page, and you'll see links there. So, used to have, and I apologize in advance. I'm not as good at that as my buddy. Uh, my buddy's deployed now, active duty military. He's over in the zone. He's in the sandbox, and um, you know, I, I just, I, I want you all to understand that um, this is, this is, this is uh, not a one man show. It's really not because I get a lot of help from a lot of people that do a lot of really awesome things. Um, I, I've got to say to you that this Christmas, I I am really, I, I don't know. I've got to say to you, I mean, you guys have heard the news by now and, uh, we're going to honor them in uh, in just a few minutes, but that uh, we lost six NATO troops, all American, um, a suicide bomber, murder bomber, drove a motorcycle into a joint convoy of U.S., NATO, and Afghan forces on Monday, blowing himself up and killing six Americans, a brutal sign of deteriorating security in a region where Western troops are trying to help locals overtake the Taliban. So, and they're excited about it. The Taliban's all excited. So, another two Americans and an interpreter were injured. So, I, I want you to understand that we are still at war, no matter what the president says. The president's a liar. Uh, and and I'll just I'll say it. What do, you know? There's others out there that have a lot more clout than I have, and certainly a lot higher regard than me uh, internationally. But I I'm not I'm not at all. I'm not at all convinced that our president isn't one of them. I'm not at all convinced that. Some people say, well, that's, you know, dude, that's conspiracy theorist. I don't know that it's a conspiracy theorist when, you know, if, if it's true. And there's so much about this guy that we know and so much that we don't know. It's kind of sickening. And I, I'll just tell you, really honestly, i it's egregious to me the man's even president that he even could even run without being run for president without being uh, you know laughed out of town. But that's where we are, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that during today. But Soldiers Christmas, uh, Madison Rising, America's most patriotic rock band, really one of the best bands I've heard. They are absolutely phenomenal, and I'm going to play that song for you, blessed song, at the end of this show. And I really want you to understand. By the way, go to MadisonRising.com. Right now they're having a big Christmas sale, and you can get, uh, I think it's 20% off. And that's tough for them because they do everything themselves. 
everything's done in America. They don't they don't outsource anything. It's all done here. And these are good guys. I mean, these are these are good Americans to the core. And I'll tell you what else too. They are phenomenal. But listen, right now we want to honor and remember the the uh, the six Americans killed. And somebody just sent me a message, well what about the Afghans? I don't care about them. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? I, I don't care about them. I don't care about the Afghans. I don't care about the Pakistanis. I don't care about any of them. I care about Americans. And some people say, well, what you know? What do you think? Americans are better? We used to be. We used to be, and we need to be that again. And, and there's Americans like Andrea Shea King and and uh, and and. Uh, Elizabeth Christ, you used to know her by Elizabeth Letchworth. She's going to be back on the show again. I'm hoping Andrea will be back on the show again. Um, you know, look, people are out there fighting, but our soldiers are out there fighting. We're at war. And I'm I'm just going to tell you, you know how we know that we're at war? Because Americans are still dying. And that's what really matters, is that Americans are still dying with the flag on their right shoulder. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at war. We are at war, and soldiers are at risk. My dear friend, I'm not going to say his name because he's active duty deployed, and you know we want to look after his wife and family back here in the states. But you know the guy that keeps up my uh, Facebook page, you know, he can't do it now because he's you know hours and hours and hours. I think eight or eight or ten hours ahead. I miss him. You know, he used to post stuff. I will be talking about something, and I, you know, half the time I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about this show is that I go where it takes me, and and I'll and I'll say this: um, somehow or another, he would know which way I was going, and uh, so he would just he would just intervene. But he's over he's over at risk, and and we prayed for him last night at Kehala, and. Uh, I don't know, man. I hope you guys realize the sacrifice that's going on on our behalf. But stay tuned to the end of the show. Soldier's Christmas, we're going to play that. And it's important that you remember that we are still at war. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Look, that's probably one of the best-known verses in the Bible, no doubt about it. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites. You've got to dwell on that for a moment. The first thing, the shepherd, look, would you be afraid? Angel appears to you. I would be. I would be, absolutely. But they were afraid. And the angel's first words announcing Yeshua's birth, or Jesus' birth, for those who choose to use the name we made up, first words were fear not. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus will tell us, he'll repeatedly tell us, fear not. The other best known verse from the Bible, look, I know you all know this one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. You know what we know about this? You know what that teaches us? Fear and belief are inextricably tired inextricably tired together. They're tied together. Christmas is on Friday. The gift we have received on this most holy of days, Christmas, the greatest gift, quite frankly, is the gift of the antidote for fear. Scripture goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Hmm. The certain fear of condemnation with which every living soul was born can now be exchanged for peace and joy and eternal life with one action on our part. On our part, on your part, on my part, something we have to do day by day, minute by minute. That's belief. we got to believe. Folks, that's Christmas. <laughs> Christmas, we got the greatest gift. That's God's will and his gift for us is belief and faith and peace and joy and eternal life. But only one thing is necessary. Seems simple, I know. Only one thing is necessary for all this. Belief. Sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. It sounds easy. It sounds like the easiest thing. Easiest pie. I don't know why. Why is that a saying? Because pie is not easy to make sometimes. Really good pie. But it sounds so easy. Look, I'm going to pursue this thought, and I'm going to, I'm going to be really, really thorough as I go. And I'm going to start with a story from the Bible about love and fear and belief and, and, and really the ultimate gift. Matthew 9, 18 through 25, Mark 5, 21 through 43, and Mark uh, 5, 36 is actually the quote, the, the quote that I just, you know, that the title, this title, Fear Not, Only Believe. That's the verse that it's from. You might want to highlight that in your, in your Bible if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, and you don't have the financial means to get one, contact us through the ninjapastor.com, through the Contact Me page. 
the folks who get a hold of me, and we'll find a way to get you a Bible. Three of the four Gospels tell this story, this same story. They tell it a little bit different, and I'm going to kind of hit on a couple of them because of time. We don't, we can't do all of them. I, you know me, you, you know me, y'all. I, I would read all of them. The people tell me, really smart people tell me, and and big time radio people tell me this. Man, don't read scripture on the air. Whatever you do, that's that's the killer of your audience. That's just, it's just they're not going to stay. You start reading scripture, boop, they're gone. But, you know, what I'm going to do. I'm not trying to get famous. I'm just trying to help save some folks. Let's look at Mark 18's rendering of the events. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demonized begged him to be allowed to go with him. Remember the the uh, the, the swine, Yeshua, you know, people came to him, oh, please, this guy's nuts. You know, he's scaring everybody. And Yeshua cast the demons out of this man and put him into the swine, the pigs. And ran them off the edge of a cliff, and they, you know, obviously, but that's it's a big deal. But that that's the people in the town. That's their money, you know. That's their currency. Anyway, he he begged him. This guy begged him. Yeshua just saved him, and and from, from demon possession. Like I don't know that it could be anything worse. But Yeshua would not permit it. He said instead, he said to him, "Go home to your people, and tell them how much Adonai." in his mercy, has done for you. Told him to proclaim. Go tell your story. Go say what happened to you. He didn't say, go tell them how great I am. Just said to tell you, tell them how much Adonai, in his mercy, has done for you. He went off and began proclaiming in the ten towns how much Yeshua had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Not some, not a few. Everyone. Yeshua crossed in the boat to the other side of the lake, and a great crowd gathered around him. There came to him a synagogue official, Yair. You know him. Uh, we've translated to, most people say Jairus, uh, but it's Yerus or Yair, uh, fully and completely pronounced. So Yair, by name, he, he, he fell to his feet and pleaded desperately, with him. The hymn there is, is Yeshua. My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Man, there's a lot going on there. I hope you understand that, that this is Sanhedrin. This is this is the Sanhedrin. This is not this is not just some, you know, general guy from you know from the town. This is the Sanhedrin. They were uh they were i mean this this was a big deal these these were the people in power these you know the, from this group the people that put yeshua to death this this is where they came from he was part of this group i'm not saying this guy was part of putting yeshua to death but he was certainly in the club so he says he pleads desperately he fell at his feet look folks they wear they wear really really ornate clothing And he and he fell at his feet. That's something they would never do, culturally speaking. He would never do it to this, you know. He would never put himself below or subject to the rabbi, Adonai. Wouldn't do it. 
my little daughter. He pleaded desperately, wouldn't you? My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well enough. He said, so maybe she will. Maybe if it works, possibly she will. (laughs) No, he said, so that. If you do this, remember I'm always talking about if then. If then. If you do this, if you lay your hands on her, if you touch her, she will get well and live. Verse 24 goes on to say, He went with him, and a large crowd followed, pressing all around him. Among them was a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, an issue with blood. She bled for 12 years, and and she suffered a great deal under many physicians. She had spent her life savings, and yet instead of improving, she had grown worse. You know what that means to me? That means in the natural, she had exhausted all options. She had done everything she can. In the natural, there was no more. It was time to give up, quite frankly. In the natural, it was time to give up. It's over. You tried. Good effort. It's not going to stop. All of her options. But then, verse 27, she heard about Yeshua. She heard somebody was talking about this Yeshua. Properly pronounced Yeshua. So she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his robe. I want to tell you that Tzitzit is uh, the Hebrew for the part that he t- that, that she touched. And that was actually the ceremonial fringe at the very bottom of his robe. So she threw herself on the ground and, and just touched that. <coughs> How would he even know? I mean, have you ever thought about that? How would he even know? Because this is what she said. She said in verse 28, if I, if I touch, remember if then, if I touch even his clothes, I will be healed. Instantly, the hemorrhaging stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been healed from the disease. At the same time, Yeshua, aware that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, in Hebrew, the proper name is Talmudim, uh, but um, you would know it as disciples. His disciples, his Talmudim, responded, You see all the people pressing in on you, and yet you still ask, Who touched me? In other words, look at all these people pressing on you. How, do you. how can you say, Who touched me? But Yeshua kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, frightened and trembling because she knew what had happened to her, came and fell down in front of him and told him the whole truth. Let me say this about that. I want you that we we read that passage way too quickly, right? We read it way too quickly. We we gloss over it. We gloss over it. She was frightened and she was trembling because she knew what had happened to her. She went from behind him, found a way to get up once she was healed, onto her feet, and ran around and pressed through the crowd and fell down in front of him and told him the whole truth, told him the whole deal. 
We don't know what she said because it wasn't included, but we know that Scripture was very clear here to say whole truth. Wouldn't you be afraid? You've been sick forever, and all of a sudden, all you do is touch the tzitzit or the fringe of the robe of the master, and you are healed instantly. That's a game changer. That's a life changer. Yeshua says to her daughter, he said to her, your trust has healed you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue official's house, remember I talked about the Sanhedrin, Yair, or Jairus, as we like to call. While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue official's house, the one with the sick daughter, she's dying, they came and they're saying, your daughter has died. Why bother the rabbi any longer? In other words, stop asking because she's gone. I'm sorry, she's gone. She died. She's 12 years old and she died. There's no point in bothering the rabbi anymore. They had limited belief. They didn't believe. They had hesitant belief. They didn't commit to belief. They just said, Matt, it's over. It's done. Remember the woman with the issue of blood on the on the way? You know, uh, Yeshua's trying to make his way, and, and he gets stopped by these people. It says a crowd was crushing in on him. But he just healed this woman. He just healed her. And somehow or another, these people from the synagogue official's house, Yair or Jairus, they, pardon me, they come and they say, oh, she's, she's gone, she's dead. Well, they didn't believe. They were stuck in the natural. They had no understanding, really, of the supernatural. Ignoring what they had said, Yeshua told the synagogue official, don't be afraid. Just keep trusting. Fear not. Just believe. Verse 37, he let no one follow him except Kepha Yaakov and Yochanan, Yaakov's brother. Why them, by the way? Kepha is Peter, by the way, upon this rock. I will build this church. He let nobody follow him. Now he stops everybody. No, no, y'all, you just stay right there. Only you guys. Only you guys. You, only you come with me. Why them? <laughs> We'd find out later, wouldn't we? When they came to the synagogue official's house, or Yair, the Sanhedrin, he found a great commotion. Yeshua found a great commotion. There was people weeping and wailing loudly. Now, I need to make clear to you some Hebrew. Uh, Pastor Gallup said this uh, over and over last week, and I want to be clear to you, and anybody that all across the country, listen, you can invite me to come speak. I'll be glad to come preach at your church or come speak at your organization. or We do seminars, conferences, all that. We do keynote speaking, graduations, things like that. And one of the things that that uh, that I'm I love that Pastor Gallup's really keyed in on was the fact that it look it context matters cultural language context matters we have to interpret scripture in its proper context so these professional mourners just so you understand what was happening here they're professional people these people weeping and wailing oh you know the louder they do it you know they're getting paid to make it a big scene. They're just look. They're they're getting paid to make a big show of their grief. T- 
to anybody who might see and hear. They didn't care who. Yeshua, he was unmoved by their fake emotions. On entering, Yeshua said to them, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's just asleep. Verse 40 gets me every time I read it. And they jeered at him. (laughs) The Son of Man, our Redeemer. Mary, did you know the child that you delivered would soon deliver you? The Savior of mankind. They jeered at him. But he put them all outside. Why did Yeshua put the jeerers outside? Why did he do that? Because they didn't believe. Look, we've got to get all the people who, who, who don't know how to have some belief, who won't learn how to believe, who are hesitant faith people. We've got to get them away from us because they're poison. Now, I don't think he needed to do that to heal, but you know what? He's not going to make a show of it. You'll see more about that in a second. It was all about these three that he sent in, Kepha, Yochanan, and uh, we remember the, the three that were went in there. It's, it's, it's Kepha, Yaakov, and Yochanan, Yaakov's brother. He put the jeers outside. He could, he could have still healed. No problem. But he sent them outside, and he said, Parents, come with me. Talmudim, come with me. And then he went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. Now, I want you to understand, in, in context here, a dead person. This is Jews don't touch a dead person. They don't touch a dead person. She was so obviously dead, and she was dead for a long enough period of time that people came all the way from the Sanhedrin's house, Yair came from his house all the way to where Yeshua was, and then all the way back. Meanwhile, Yeshua's got to heal a woman on the way with the issue of blood. Some time has passed. Yeshua says, Talita kumi. Talita kumi. What does that mean? Tolito kumi means little girl or literally precious little lamb. I say to you, get up. At once the girl got up and began walking around. She was 12 years old. Everybody utterly amazed. Yeshua gave them strict orders to say nothing about this to anyone. And he told them to give her something to eat. In Hebrew culture, just so you understand, what symbolizes being alive? Eating. That's why we have a meal. We have a meal every Sunday night, 5 p.m. in Newark, Delaware, right near Hocassendale, right at the edge of Hocassendale, Delaware. So if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, you can easily come. We have people that come from over two hours away. We have a meal at 5 o'clock. We sit down together and we eat. It's nothing formal. Well, we eat good, though. You know that. But we eat in the Hebrew culture. That means you're alive. You're eating. First thing, Yeshua says, give her something to eat. But in verse 43 also, he says, give, give him strict orders not to say anything about this. Wait a second. The guy he cast out the uh, the demons from, he said, go and tell everybody. The guy went to ten towns all around him. 
and proclaimed, and everyone was amazed. This one, he says, don't tell anybody. You know what you don't have to do when you're dead and then you're alive is tell people you're alive. It's kind of obvious. Your testimony is being alive, living fully and completely, living like you're alive. For many, many years, I rode a motorcycle, and people used to tell me all the time, man, you understand that's dangerous. I remember I rode all year round. I usually would only miss maybe six days out of the whole year. Even when I was living in Ohio, uh, six days. In Ohio, it, it snows in September. You know what I'm saying? Summer is like 15 minutes long. I just was into riding. I just I loved it. People would say to me, you know, you know it's cold outside, right? I think to myself, yeah, I above all, everybody else, I know it's cold. I have a full, complete understanding. And they would say, you know, you understand how dangerous that is, right? And I would say to them, yeah, I do. I do fully understand. People don't look for motorcycles. They're busy texting. They're busy doing all this other stuff. they got no business doing while they're driving. And they're trying to kill me. They try to make left turns in front of me. And apparently when a motorcyclist gets killed by a car, it's no big deal. No big deal. Most of the time, they don't even get punished. Just get a traffic ticket. Well, it was a mistake. It was an accident. No, it wasn't. You killed somebody. You weren't paying attention, and you killed someone. Anyway, all that said to say this, that um, I would say to people, they'd say, you know, how can you do that? How can you do such a dangerous activity? And I would say there's more to living than breathing in and out. And, And I'll tell you, you know, we joke around about this, but, you know, and you can look at me and know I like to eat. You don't get this size by looking at food. You you get this size by eating food. But I love to eat. But I love to live. I love to live. I have no fear of dying, literally no fear of dying. But, boy, I love being alive. What a wonderful, blessed thing it is to be alive. My uh, One of the dear ladies, Miss Charlotte from, from uh, our Kehala, her mother passed away. And her mother's 90-some years old. Miss Charlotte, I think, is close to 70 or 71 years old. And I have to tell you, and I said this last night at Kehala. You know, when your mama dies, it doesn't matter how old she is. And it doesn't matter how old you are. That's your mama. You only get one. It's rough. But I love being alive. I don't know how many people would mourn me when I die, but I'll tell you this. You know, I when I die, I want to have lived a full, full life. For however long gone. And I, I can't believe I'm still alive, honestly, all the things that have happened. But it's been my belief for some time the only real requirement for salvation is true, unhesitant belief. Decide, resolve, and stand. You've heard me say countless times, folks, hesitant faith is no faith at all. Some think this is easy. Some think it's too easy. You know how it is. Sometimes things are too easy and we think that's impossible. Listen, I have a secret for you. If it were actually as easy as people think it sounds, if it were actually easy, Yeshua wouldn't have to repeat it so much. Yeshua also, here in these scriptures, he states the main impediment to belief, and that is fear. Look, I need you to understand, I'm not talking about saying you believe. Why? Because talk is cheap. There's a lot of, and you know, I go on and on about this uh, in, in different speeches, and if I ever address pastors at pastors' conferences, I always say the only pastors' conference I'll go to are ones where I'm the keynote. 
I hate to hear the whining. I really do. I can't stand to hear a whiny pastor talk about how tough their job is and, you know, uh, I just, I can't take it. I can't take it. I just hear blah, blah, blah. And I hear a lot of the pastors. That's what I think. You know, I talk about this in my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. I talk about this all the time. There's a link on theninjapastor.com. You can buy it there. I talk, talk is cheap, folks. Talk is cheap. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about saying you believe. It's using all the fancy church words and making it sound good. I am talking about the throne-shaking belief. Throne-shaking belief. That throne-shaking belief that gives you the boldness to act. The belief that eliminates fear. The belief that defies fear. A super, super smart person I know says often, and I love this quote, fear eats faith. Fear eats faith. It's a great saying. It's three words. Folks, but the inversion of that is faith defeats fear. Faith in the New Testament sense is an action based upon belief. Believe is the noun. Faith is the verb. The belief is so secure and so powerful that the person is willing to act even to the point of risking death because of the confidence that they have in what they believe. Now, you'll notice that I didn't say belief in what they could prove, scientifically or otherwise. I didn't say that. I said belief, confidence in what you believe, not, not even thinking about proof. In this passage, in the quote, fear not only believe, the entire New Testament is summed up like this four-word statement. of su- and, and it's a supernatural fact. People can dispute it all they want. Yeshua says, fear not, only believe. The angel said when he was coming, fear not, only believe. Look, it is simple, but it's not easy. Yair or Jairus. He was the ruler of the synagogue, folks. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the top guys. He came to Yeshua because his 12-year-old daughter was dying, and he believed that only Yeshua could heal her. I have a, a saying, the why behind the try. It's in my book. I talk about it in my book. Why you do what you do. Why you, you know, I go to physical therapy three days a week and, uh, and do all the things that I do because I want to be functional. I was in a horrible car crash, fatal car crash, 92 miles per hour versus 51 miles per hour head-on. I went from 51 miles per hour to zero in seven feet. Therapy hurts bad. After therapy hurts bad. Why do I do it? The The why behind the try is I want to be functional. I, I want to play with my grandkids. I want to I want to try to help people as much as I can. You know, it's not I'm not afraid of dying. It's it's just I want to if I'm here, I want to live well. So I do the best I can to do the best I can. That's the why behind my try. Well, this man, 
Yerus or Yair, Yair, the ruler of the synagogue, the Sanhedrin, he did all this because his 12-year-old daughter was dying. And his fervent belief, his unshakable, throne-shaking belief was that only Yeshua could heal her. He didn't go to his friends, the other Sanhedrin. He didn't go to them. They had fancy outfits and everything. They had big words and everything. He didn't go to them. He went to Yeshua. Because only Yeshua, he believed, only Yeshua could heal her. Yair didn't go to Yeshua privately either. He dropped to his knees publicly and he begged Yeshua for help with his daughter in front of a throng of people. You understand, by him doing this, that exposed him to the retribution of the Sanhedrin and the other synagogue group. Why? Why did this do this? Because Yeshua was already marked for death. And by publicly acknowledging that he believed Yeshua could save his daughter from death, just by acknowledging that, that he believed Yeshua could save his daughter from death, he was giving up his job and maybe even his life, probably even his life. But you know what? The why behind his try. He loved his daughter more. He loved his daughter more. His daughter, his precious little lamb, Talitha Kumi, his precious little lamb was more important to him than his own life. Can I get an amen? Is there somebody out there that will testify that when you look at your own children, their life and their wellness matters more to you than your own? And you know what? If they're in danger, you are desperate. And you're afraid. By the way, folks, this will be part of an ebook. I, I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning, but this will be part of an ebook. We'll have links to this message uh, that we're working on. We're doing three ebooks right now, and they're very inexpensive. They're not inexpensive to do, to make, but they're very inexpensive for you to buy, to download, uh, and to share with your friends. And, and this, this message will be part of that. Yair, or, or Jairus, was desperate and he was afraid, just like we would be, right? I, I have kids, you have kids, many of you have children. And when they're in jeopardy, you're desperate, you're afraid, you don't want anything to happen to them. Yet, Yeshua didn't hesitate. The passage reads, and he went with him. And he went with him. There was a slight delay, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Remember what that delay was. I, many of you have better memories, uh, and you remember what we talked about. But before they could get to the girl, there came word that she was dead. Yeshua overheard immediately. Immediately. He overheard this. When they came and they said this, he, Yeshua overheard. And he immediately said to the ruler, to the Sanhedrin, to the dad, to the desperate and afraid father, Yerus, or Yair, do not fear, only believe. Look, in the modern-day church, the postmodern emergent church, uh, Yeshua didn't ask of Jairus, Oh, are you afraid? Are you sad? Yeshua did not ask, Hey, Jairus, do you trust me? Yeshua knew that despite the exhibition of faith, and look, this ruler showed unbelievable faith, thrown shaking faith just by coming to him. But Yeshua wasn't surprised that the, the father of this dead child would be terrified. Yeshua wasn't mad or disappointed or surprised. Why? 
Because Yeshua knows fear is real. Fear is justified, and it's part of our fallen world. And fear is a real impediment and danger to God's ability to help us. Fear not. Only believe. Yeshua also didn't say or ask with the pious smugness that really only Yeshua is qualified to feel and express. Do you have any unconfessed sin? Do you repent of your sins? I remember I had a guy come to my house, supposed to be a friend of mine, allegedly a pastor. I was super, super sick. I mean, I was really in bad shape. And uh, I was in bed. I mean, I was, I, it, was, it was really, really bad. And people heard about it, and he heard, and he came. And, uh, you know, he clears everybody out of the room, and he says, in this little churchy, pious, pursed lips voice, you know, with, for whatever reason, the postmodern emergent church, the, the pastors, many of them are, are wussy. They're just wusses. He says, do you have, Sean, I just want to ask you, you know, you and me and God here, do you have any unconfessed sin? Do you, do you repent of your sins? In other words, that's why I was sick. Yeshua, the only one who's qualified to feel and express that, he didn't ask that. Even Yeshua didn't ask that, the Son of Man, the Holy One, Adonai Elohim. He didn't ask that. No, he just made it simple and he made it clear. Do two things only. Only these two things. Ready? Number one, number two. Fear not. That's number one. And now number two, believe. But you know what happens if you switch that around? Because we love to do that, right? In this world, well, well, I understand, you know, the Bible and God. You know, he says to do this and do that. But you know, I, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to recreate God in my own image, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up. I'm going to just switch it around, you know? Yeah, I'm going to make it more efficient. If you don't believe, it, look, how do I say this more plainly? I, I don't know how to say it more plainly. If you fear, you won't believe. If you fear, you won't believe. Look, if fear overwhelms you, if you allow fear to overwhelm you, you will not believe. You are incapable. If you don't believe, I can't help you. Look, I, I want you to understand, this isn't about Yeshua's ability to help. This isn't about God's ability to help. It's also not about Yeshua's desire to help or God's will for the child to be healed. It's not about that. Those are a given. He cares about us. He loves us. In the Psalms, the psalmist says, that uh, he, he keeps an account of our sorrows. He keeps our tears in a bottle. Look, Yeshua definitely cared. Like, think about this. He's tired. He's, he's pushing through these crowds. The delay, remember I told you about the delay. You know what the delay is now. The delay that Yeshua had in going to Yairus' house, or Yairus' house, was that he healed the woman with the issue of blood. She was healed entirely by faith in Jairus' presence. But Yeshua immediately made it clear to Jairus that if he chose fear, the girl wouldn't live. Fear not. Only believe. It wouldn't have mattered that Jairus came to him or that God wanted to heal his daughter. It wouldn't have mattered. Fear is the enemy, folks. Fear is the enemy. I, you know, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna make it simple for you, folks. Fear is always the enemy. 
And I'm here today to give you this word, fear. It's still our enemy today. Yeshua made it clear how things work here. We have a clear choice. We can choose fear or we can choose belief. But you know what? Precious friends, they can't coexist. They cannot coexist. You can't do both at the same time. You can't hes- hesitant faith is no faith at all, Esther says. Hesitant faith, no faith at all. Are you listening? They can't coexist. You can't do both at the same time. And sadly, Yeshua makes it clear that here on this planet at this time, if you choose fear, then fear wins. You need to understand this. Yeshua does not want it to be this way. Doesn't want it to be this way. The Bible says that Yeshua came to undo the works of the devil. Folks, there's no greater tool of the devil than fear. Fear is the devil's creation. Just like everything else the devil does, it's a it's a perversion of the truth. And you know what's amazing? Its opposite will defeat it. Belief defeats fear every time. Joy defeats sorrow every time. A house divided cannot stand. I want to close this first hour with Romans fifteen thirteen. then a couple of thoughts. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Let we be happy and we can be sad. There's things that make us sad. I'm not saying pretend like things don't make you sad because we do get sad. Yeshua himself got sad. He knew he was going to uh, bring Lazarus from the grave, his dear friend Lazarus from the grave. He knew he was, and yet he wept. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Glory to God. Prior to Yeshua's birth, humanity had no choice. Fear was the reality. It was the only thing. I I want to put this out to you. The woman, little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. Context is king. The woman healed of the issue of blood. Remember, we talked about that on the way to Yair's daughter. She was 12 years old. This woman had suffered for 12 years, the number 12. Get this now. We'll go back. So you can, I'm not going to skip over this too fast. 12 years, this woman with the issue of blood, the hemorrhaging, she she touched the tzitzit, which is the ceremonial fringe. How in the world would even know that she touched it? And and, And she touched it from behind. She knew if I just touch his garment, I'll be healed. She believed, and she was. For 12 years, this woman suffered with this. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. The number 12 in Hebrew number symbolism means completeness. Perfect governmental foundation. I, I, you know what? I believe this is also a clue for us. In God's kingdom, you don't get sick and you don't die. In God's kingdom, you don't get sick and you don't die. But here on earth, Satan has the power of fear, and folks, it has a real effect. Doctors tell me all the time, I have a lot of great friends that are really phenomenal doctors, and and they tell me all the time, and and I'm fascinated by this. Uh, I'm a person who studies the human mind. I have a pretty serious brain injury. And so the neurological sciences, they really are uh, fascinating to me. Fear has a profound impact on the human body. 
Come on, I'm not telling any of you anything. There's a lot of amens going on out there. There's a lot of people pounding their steering wheel on their way home from work, listening to this broadcast right now. Going, you know what? You're right, Ninja Pastor. You're right. Satan has the power of fear here on earth, and it does affect us. What we know is the foundation of this world is corrupted, and it's imperfect. But we've been given a way to defeat this corrupted system. But what do we have to do? We have to exercise that way, capital W. That capital W way is Yeshua Hamashiach. And Yeshua gives us the very simple instruction this Christmas season. Fear not. Only believe. Mary, did you know that the baby boy you delivered would soon deliver you? Can you imagine this Christmas? Anything being more important than the full and complete soul-deep understanding. Soul-deep understanding that we have to believe fully and completely without any hesitation. Christmas means nothing if you don't fully and completely believe that what happened on Christmas isn't about the gifts. It isn't about any of that. It's about the gift. The gift. Yeshua came, and he lived on this earth a perfect, perfect life. (laughs) Thirty-three years. Until he was unjustly and illegally tried, tortured, and murdered. But it didn't end there. See, your belief, look, you can believe that happened, that's easy. That's easy as to believe that somebody came, lived 33 years, and died, was murdered. We can believe that. We see ISIS murdering people all the time. We don't have to struggle to believe it. We can see it. A lot of the times they videotape it. So what's so hard to believe? There's nothing hard to believe. Nothing at all. It's easy. That's easy to believe. The struggle is the really challenging thing is to understand that Just as he said would happen. He died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then he rose again the third day. Do you understand how important that is? Do you understand how important that is to fully and completely, without hesitation at all, to believe that? (laughs) Sounds easy, doesn't it? Sounds easy. Fear not. Only believe. We'll be right back. We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. 
Hey, listeners, let me tell you something really quick. Listen, if you own a gun, not even if you carry a gun, not even if you have a concealed carry permit, but if you own a gun, you need to listen up. You need to get a pen, you need to get paper, something. You need to click into your notes and your smartphone and, and take this number down. First of all, the first number is 20630. Don't worry, I'll repeat it. 20630. Listen, you have the right to defend yourself and your loved ones and your home. All of that stuff is true. You know it is. But the moment you pull the trigger or pull your gun, you are at risk for devastating legal and financial consequences. You know, you can be arrested. You can be jailed. You can be sued. You can be fired. You can be bankrupted. Even when you've legally and justifiably used a gun in self-defense. Listen, you don't have to let this happen to you. Just call Second Call Defense. That number you want is 20630. Listen, it's going to get you a whole month free. 20630. I'll give you the number in a second. You're going to enjoy, listen, when you become a member, you're going to enjoy peace of mind of having immediate and comprehensive legal and financial protection at your fingertips the moment you pull your gun, the moment you pull the trigger, no matter where you are in the United States. You just make two calls. Your first call should always be to 911 to request an ambulance and law enforcement. And listen, we'll tell you exactly what to do, what to say, how to say it. Your second call should be to second call defense. Listen, we've got your back. It's complete legal protection for armed self-defense, and it is fully endorsed by the NRA. It's fully backed by the NRA insurance program. Folks, you've got to have this coverage. I have the Cadillac protection, which is the ultimate coverage, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. People say, well, I've got homeowner's coverage. That'll protect me. I've got an umbrella policy, civil liability policy. No, no, it won't. In fact, it's specifically excluded. You say, well, I'll get a a public defender. They'll keep me out of jail. No, they won't. First of all, usually public defenders are from liberal colleges and liberal law schools. They hate guns. They hate people that carry guns. And they don't understand uh, lethal force to start with. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Is that what you want to bet your freedom on? Is that what you want to bet your financial future on? That? Are you kidding me? 877-502-3300. Secondcalldefense.org. You want to give them this number, 20- 630. That's a Ninja Pastors number. You give them that, they're going to give you a free month. Go to God and Country Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up. You, you know, sign up by the means of putting in your information for the show uh, to follow the show. But there's links on there. Once you do that, or on that page, there's a link there, and that will show you exactly where to go. You click on that link, go get all kinds of information. There are no contracts. You're not locked in. And once you get your money back, your free uh, month back, they, they never come back and take it back. This is the best coverage out there. Trust me. I've researched it all. Join today. Welcome back to The Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean. Now, as if you needed more evidence, thank you, by the way, for hanging in with me through the break. Now, as if you needed more evidence from an actual scriptural and spiritual standpoint as to whether we are to act without fear, whether we're to act without apology to protect ourselves from, we know it's all here, immigration jihad, from Islam, from invasion jihad, what are we as Christians supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it? How are we supposed to do it without fear? Question is, when is when is it right to fight, Christians? When is it right to fight, believers? 
Look, I, I'm no huge fan of Rick Warren. People who know me really well know that anytime you start edging toward the whole postmodern emergent deal, I, it's not my thing. And, and, and Rick Warren is responsible for leading tens of thousands to the foot of the cross. And I believe lots and lots of people, millions of people, were, were hugely impacted by his book, Purpose Driven Life. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of his in many, many ways. But I'm telling you, I have to thank an unlikely source in Rick Warren for much of the scripture that I'm going to be sharing with you tonight. I'm also going to be recalling some years ago when I had the bright idea. I had the bright idea of doing my doctoral dissertation on just war theology. And then while I was researching that, I was I was very far along. In fact, I may still have it. I I ought to I ought to make that a book. I think it's a hundred and some pages I have. Just on that subject, just worth theology, uh, and but then I was reading all the muckety muck that's out there on just worth theology. I decided, you know what, I didn't have enough original thought to add to the topic. You know, that's what a doctoral dissertation is. It's you capture a lot of what's out there uh, and you cite it, but but you also have to come with something original. Hence, why you know why you do it. I just felt after. Writing, I think, a hundred and some, hundred twenty some pages. So what? <laughs> so what? And you know what? If the writer, if the author of a dissertation says so what after they read what they wrote, then you probably should do something different. So I did. I want to look at what the Bible says about some of the questions about war. We lost six Americans today. We started the show with, with echo taps. We started the show. Remembering the folks have died. Oh, look, I'm wearing a shirt right now. SEAL Team 6, Michael Strange, 8611, michaelstrangefoundation.org. Listen, we got to care about our gold star families. Christmas, holidays, so hard, so difficult. Man, love on some folks. It's, diff- it's so hard. It's so difficult. Can you imagine those families of those six Americans that died in Afghanistan just days before Christmas. Most of us have been glued to the television or radio these last several weeks as Islamic terrorists struck France and the United States successfully. Look, we've been warned since 9-11 that it would be a long war. And I'm sure many questions have been raised in many Christians. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm positive. I'm absolutely positive. Because they ask me all the time, many folks I know, they go back and say, well, what does the Bible say about war? Because I want to do the right thing. I want to be a good Christian. It's one of the biggest and most often asked questions I get asked during my speaking engagements all over the country and on my radio show. It's it's one of the biggest com- comments and questions I ever get during questions and answers. Just War Theology. That's the topic that I was going to write my doctoral dissertation on, so I'm kind of into this. I thought the perfect thing to do today was to spend some time really thinking about, I I want you to, if you're a praying person, if you believe that, that God hears your prayers, cares about your prayers, pray for those families. Those six families, pray for them. Because you know what? Man, can you imagine? It's never a good time, but Christmas, you know, right around the times we we remember things, we, you know, they're getting together and they remember who's not there. They see who's not there. All those six families 
of those six soldiers that were murdered, they were just praying, God, just let them get home safe. Look, you need to understand, uh, and I want to be clear about this. I don't ever want to be ambiguous. We need to pray for the people just like you and me, who are Christians or Jews or other peaceful religions, and, and, and they can't comprehend why do Muslims want to kill innocent people. Look, I'm praying to help you realize what I've known through many years, since 1983. Islam is the weapon. We're the target. This will never stop, folks. All of this, what's going on, it'll never stop until all Islamic terrorists are all dead. And you'll notice I didn't say locked up in Gitmo or somewhere else. I'm talking about dead, D-E-A-D, dead. So what we're going to look at here is what is the real cause of war? Is it ever right to fight? Will the world ever have permanent peace? How about maybe is this the final war? Is this it? Is this the World War III? This is it. This is over. We're done. And how should we respond during war? Let me say this. I'm going to say this one more time. Please understand this. We are at war. We're at war. The sooner you realize that, the better. Look, we need to pray. We need to pray every day. I pray. I pray for our soldiers. I pray for our soldiers' families. This, this, this rules of engagement mess that's going on right now, uh, Barack Hussein Obama, they're murderous. He's a, he, he needs to be brought up on charges, and everybody under his command that doesn't say, no, we're not doing that. You're out of your mind, loser. Get out of here. That's not how we do. Every one of them is culpable for the lives lost underneath them. Every single one. Folks, we need to trust God. When things are out of control, we need to trust God. We need to fear, not only believe. We need to seek peace. There's something we have to do. What did that 12-year-old have to do? She had to get up. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He touched her, and then he said, get up. She had to do something. We need to do those somethings, whatever he tells us to do. You know what? We do need to seek peace. The Bible says we need to be seekers of peace. There's a lot more than it says in just that. I could stop right there and be the friend of all of these postmodern emergent churches and say, See, that's what we are. We just believe in loving. I had a, lost a Facebook follower, um, and I knew her. I know this girl. Several weeks ago, I talked about it, and I, you know, I shared with you the whole thread, and she reached out to me kind of chastising me, saying, I don't know how you call yourself a pastor and when all you do is preach hate. It's murderous hate, killing all the Muslims, and these you don't even want these refugees to come in here. Look, there's something we need to do. We need to seek peace, but we need to have a weapon. But you know what else we need to do? I talk about it with the Gold Star families all the time, but we also need to support one another. We We suck at that. Seriously, folks, we suck at that. We're terrible at supporting one another. We really, we really, it's it's egregious. The circular firing squad, thank God Lindsey Graham dropped out today. What a, hmm, I can't, that guy I can't take much of. Dropped out of the presidential uh, candidacy today. He's not running. Good. 
But the ones on stage, they snipe at each other. But even at the Democrat, I I did a, a uh, tweet. The Democrat, uh, what did I say? The Democrat, uh, Democratic National Debate, um, testicle-free debate. Two air quotes, men and a woman. <laughs> they even sniped at each other. But you know what? They stay together. When times get tough, they stay together. On conservative side, now nah, we just shoot at each other. Here's what the Bible has to say, Romans 12, 18 through 21. I'll go back further than that so you can have the, the context of it, because I'm a big fan of context. I think you've heard me say that once or a thousand times. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be sensitive to each other's needs. Don't think yourselves better than others, but make humble people your friends. Don't be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but try to do what everyone regards as good. If possible, and to the extent that it depends on you, live in peace with all people. Did you hear that? And to the extent that it depends on you. Very important clause. The left often, you know, the left wants nothing to do with the Bible until they can uh, they can uh, pollute it and, and, and corrupt it and twist it to mean what they want, serve their agenda. Isn't that funny? The enemy, Satan, does the same thing. The serpent did the same thing. If possible, and to the extent that it depends on you, live in peace with all people. Never seek revenge, my friends. Instead, leave that to God's anger. For in the Tanakh it is written, Adonai says, Vengeance is my responsibility. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap fiery coals of shame on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Look, if you're taking notes, and you should not be taking notes if you're driving your car while listening to this broadcast, or if you're on a tightrope, if you're a tightrope walker and you're between buildings right now, do not write notes. And if you can do that, and if you can write notes and you're walking across between buildings on a tightrope, like hundreds of feet up, you're awesome. But if you're taking notes, circle if it is possible. And to the extent that it depends on you, if it's possible. I think the Bible's very practical here. It says, as much as it depends on you, as far as it's possible on your behalf, live at peace with everybody. As far as as much as you can do, live at peace with everybody. However, I also think that this is implying that sometimes it is impossible to live at peace with someone. Look, we can't live at peace with Islam. That's reality. The sooner we realize that, the better. Have you ever met anybody, you all know people like this, have you ever met anybody that no matter what you did, you just can't get along with them? No matter what you did, they cannot be appeased. The Bible says, if it is possible, for a reason. Are you listening? The Bible says, if it is possible, to the extent that it depends on you. If it is possible, for a reason. The Bible says it's for a reason. There's nothing in there by accident. If somebody abused my family, I wouldn't have peace with them at all. If there is someone or even an entire people such as Islam who is a demon-possessed cult, murder cult, with a mission of coming to kill you, cut your head off, rape and murder your wife, rape your children, enslave and torture them, and you before killing your family and you, I don't think God would expect me to have peace with them. In fact, I know that he wouldn't. We're going to look today at these questions about war. What is the real cause what is the real cause of war? The Bible says that most wars are caused by two things, selfishness and pride. 
Selfishness and pride. You know what? In many cases, they're the root of most wars, but in many cases, it's one side is selfish and, and prideful. James 4, 1 through 2 in the Complete Jewish Bible says, What is causing all the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it your desires battling inside you? You desire things and don't have them. You kill and you're jealous and you still can't get them. So you fight and quarrel. The reason you don't have is that you don't pray. Islam wants something that doesn't belong to them. The peace and freedom that we enjoy. But I might add, we enjoy it, but we don't adequately protect and defend it. We don't. We become a wimpy, skinny jeans-wearing nation. That's what we're about. You understand, whenever there's a battle between two nations, a battle between two businesses, a battle between an employee and an employer, labor and management, husband and wife, parent and child, wherever there's conflict, somebody, maybe it's both, maybe they're both exhibiting selfishness or pride. I want my way. You want your way. We're going to have conflict when that happens. When I was little, I remember reading a story about President Lincoln. The story goes like this. Lincoln and his sons were walking down the street one day, and, uh, and um, Rick Warren does tell this story. And, and I, this is something that uh, I've been told my whole life. The story goes, Lincoln and his sons were walking down the street one day with his two boys, and they were both crying and frustrated. One man passing by said, what's wrong with your little boys? He said, nothing, just What's wrong with the world? I have three walnuts, and each one's two. Rick Warren often tells a story where two cities in Italy fought for 22 years over an unreturned bucket. It was a 22-year war over an unreturned bucket. That's ridiculous. Or it was some kind of really awesome bucket. I don't know what. As a nation, we do sometimes fight over what can only be called stupid stuff. However, the fight against terror... The fight against Islam, instead of naming and claiming our real enemy, Islam, and, and that is clearly the scourge of Islam, folks. If, if you're not there yet, you must have just started listening to this show. Islam is clearly the problem. And part of that is political correctness. Islam is poisoning the entire world. Why is that? Folks, this is self-imposed genocide. President Barack Hussein Obama and his administration, they're doing that right now. Genocide. Look, the Bible essentially says in Proverbs 13.10, the effect of pride is fighting. This was the very first verse. Uh, you know, I, I have a counseling practice. You guys know that. And and when I was going through getting my degree and, and all of that and certifications and all this stuff, I memorized um, a verse, only by pride comes. And I think most pastoral counselors, you know, they they this is not new. Only by pride comes contention. Pride only causes fighting. When you think of sin, what's in the middle letter? What's the middle letter? Sin. It's I. When I'm in charge, I want my way. When I demand that I be the center of the universe, when I get my way, sin's going to happen. Pride causes all kinds of problems. Islam thinks it should rule the world, and it thinks it should kill those who, who don't submit to them. They not only think it, they actually kill those who do not submit or submit enough. How many times in the Hussein Obama administration since 2008 have delegations gone to Iraq and other hotbeds for Islam to say, hey, you guys, why don't you reasonable, good guys, peaceful religion people, why don't you just back down? Why don't you just back out and we'll give you some money or something? We'll give you TVs. Islam has basically said in pride, I'd rather fight to the death than switch to living in reason. I'd rather go to war and die myself 
rather than back down and admit that I was wrong in taking this land and killing Christians. They're not ever going to admit that. You need to accept it. Proverbs 13.10 in the New English Bible. A brainless New English Bible is not one I use very often, but I like how this is it's very clear. A brainless fool causes, causes strife by his presumption. The complete Jewish Bible, which I prefer, renders the passage this way. Insolence, insolence produces only strife, but wisdom is found with those who take advice. Why don't we take advice? Because we think we know everything. Stupid Sean Greener, he knows everything. He acts like he know everything. He acts like he's smart, but he ain't. He don't know. You better act like you know. Remember when you were a kid? Probably yours. When you were in school, probably people didn't say stupid things like that. You better act like you know. You better act like you've grown. Right? We think we know everything. We don't take advice because we think we know. We don't take direction because we're too proud to admit we're lost. Amen? Question is, is it ever right to fight? Is it ever right to fight? Yes, there are times when it is the lesser of two evils. There are times when it is appropriate, and there are times when it is inappropriate. Ecclesiastes 3.8, there's a time for war, and there is a time for peace. The left forgets that, or they choose to ignore it. Look, the Bible is a very realistic book. Library of books, 66 amazing books. Sometimes war is the right thing. Sometimes war is the wrong thing. You know why war becomes the wrong thing for us most of the time here in America? Because we don't prosecute a war properly. We get all kinds of politics. We don't let the war fighters, the sheepdogs, go handle our business. The politicians who never strapped on a a, a gun or a flak jacket or or don't know what it's like to Ah, I'm not going to go into it. It's just, it would make me mad. Anyway, suffice to say, they're unqualified. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace, and the Bible's very realistic about this. There are many, many examples in the Bible where God commanded a war, where God said, simply, go to war. When you look at the great heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, you've got Joshua, you've got David, Gideon, Samson, all these men were warriors. When you look at the Bible, you find that sometimes war has thing to do. It's sometimes it's the right thing to do. When God commanded his people to go to war, it is the right thing to do. But sometimes when you don't go to war, and God tells you to go to war, entire civilizations disappear under the weight of God's judgment and wrath for their disobedience. When you study the ministry of Yeshua, you see a number of things. In the first place, and I know this might seem obscure at first, but I want you to think this through. Think about this. Did you realize that Yeshua, the supposed pacifist, never told a Roman soldier to leave the army? If Yeshua had been a pacifist, he would have said every time he saw a soldier, you need to leave your army and then come follow me. Think about this. Not once did Yeshua ever say it was morally wrong for them to be in the service. In fact, in Matthew 24, 6, you will hear the noise of wars nearby and the news of wars far off. See to it that you don't become frightened. Such things must happen, but the end is yet to come. That's Matthew 24, 6. People often ask me, wasn't Jesus a pacifist? I answer with the truth, and the truth is, is I don't think Yeshua was. Twice in the New Testament, he cleansed the temple by force. The Bible to which we cling as the truth from God to man says he made a whip, and he went in and he cleansed the temple. He handled his business. He regulated. He went in and he cleansed the tape. He was the man. He didn't politely ask him, um, would you guys, because, you know, we always want to paint God with some feminine, 
He's got a lot of hair product in. He's real pretty and soft focused. You know, that's how they want to do it all the time in Hollywood. Would you guys pretty please get out of here? Would you just go out the door, leave respectfully? Amen. No, he didn't do it. He regulated. He forced them out. They were in the wrong place doing the wrong thing, and he forced them out. Do you remember that one time he told his Talmudim, you know, his disciples sell their coats and buy a sword? It's talked about in Luke twenty-two thirty-five to 38. I talk about this a lot in my speeches all across the country. He said to them, when I sent you out with a wallet, pack, or shoes, were you ever short of anything? Not a thing, they answered. Not a thing. But now, he said, if you have a wallet or a pack, take it. And if you don't have a sword, sell your robe to buy one. In other words, be without an outer garment. That's more important for you to have a sword than to have a coat to protect you from the cold. For I tell you this, the passage from the Tanakh that says, He was counted with transgressors has to be fulfilled in me, since what is happening to me has a purpose. They said, Look, Lord, there are two swords right there. He said, Enough. I want to challenge you to do a word study in the Bible of the word resist. Just if you have if you have Bible study programs, uh, a lot of times they're even on the phones. People have them on their phones. I, I do, and on your laptops and all that stuff. If you're listening on a laptop, you can do it. If you have a Bible study program, just just study the word resist. Make a study of all the things that Scripture tells us. I'll tell you what, not even just Scripture. Just restrict it to the New Testament. That we're not simply to passively accept evil, but that we're to resist it. Make a point. Write it down. How are we to do that? How are we to resist? The Bible says there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Then the question becomes this. When's the right time? Practically speaking, when's the right time? How do you know a good war from a bad war? Two or three times the Bible says we ought to fight. And and, and this is important. In order to preserve freedom, number one, and in order to preserve freedom, Freedom is a gift from God, folks. There are many examples in the Bible of this. Once God told you, uh, Joshua to wipe out the Midianites. They were terribly oppressive people. They were evil. He was afraid that they would be oppressed by them. They had all kinds of evil practices. They threw babies into the fire, for Pete's sake. How about, how about Islam? You want to still protect Islam, whack-job whack leftists? They, they beheaded, what was it, 38 disabled babies, beheaded them. They killed them. Gays, I don't understand you. I, I don't understand you why you're not fighting Islam. I, I don't know I don't know why. You are the most unbelievable people on the planet. If you aren't leading the charge against Islam in this country, coming to this country. Because they throw gay people, even people they suspect of being gay, or even gay friendly. Off of roofs, they find the tallest roof they can find, they throw them off. Why in the world you're not fighting that, I don't know. But they throw precious babies into the fire. Terrible, terrible, atrocious culture, these Midianites. God said, told Joshua, he told him point blank, go wipe them out. He didn't say, well, you know, go try to contain them. No. In Numbers 32, God gets very upset. In fact, he expresses anger at the two tribes in Israel because they wouldn't go to war. Moshe says to these two tribes, Moshe is Moses. Moses not a real name. Moshe says to these two tribes, what are you going to do? Just sit here while the rest of your brothers go to war? Aren't you going to participate? 
That's different than a lot of people in the Hussein Obama administration as it relates to Islamic Jihad being foisted upon the United States and the rest of the world, quite frankly. We have a president that seems to revel in sitting idly by while Islamic Jihad marches across Europe to our shores, to our homes, to our businesses, to your children's schools. That's what's happening right now with the immigration jihad, the jihad that is being invited upon us under the guise of refugee crisis. You have to decide what's worth dying for. I, I have a saying, copyrighted saying, decide, resolve, and stand. You have to decide what's worth dying for. If you don't know worth, look, look, if you're struggling to know what's worth dying for, you just don't know what's worth living for. There are some things worse than war. Many times in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites to go liberate a certain group of people. You know who he told them to liberate? Innocent people. Number two, it's right to go to war when you have to defend the innocent. When you have to defend innocent people, they can't defend themselves. I'm not talking about people have said to me, and, I, and I'm so frustrated with this. Uh, the girl who's since defended me, she's, you know, her contention was, look, we're called to help these people. Even if some of them harm us, we're called to help them. If we're martyred in the process of harming them, well, God looks favorably upon that. It's a perversion of scriptures, and it's just absolutely not true. In order to defend innocent people, sometimes we are to go to war. Proverbs 21.15 is very clear. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Hey, you non-driving while listening note-takers, if you're not driving or walking on a tightrope, circle that word justice. If you've just written that, circle that word justice in Proverbs 21.15. Christians are not just interested in peace. Look, we want peace. But we want peace with justice. Peace at any price is not peace. Peace at any price is appeasement. God says that God is not only a God of peace, but he is a God of justice. Things should be done right. Edmund Burke said that. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. We must do justice no matter the cost. As President Ronald Reagan said, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. John Stuart Mill said, A man who has nothing which he's willing to fight for, nothing which he cares about more than his own personal safety, is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free. What's another reason? The Bible says we are to, we're to go to war. The number three reason, in order to stop the spread of evil. The Bible makes very clear that God has authorized the government to enforce the law and punish offenders. Romans 13.4 this is the Jerusalem Bible and, and um, the New International Version, I think, is a kind of a, 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 a cool translation for this particular verse. Government is there to serve God for your benefit. If you break the law, however, you may well have to fear. He does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of justice to bring punishment to the wrongdoers. Three facts of life. Look, if you're a grown person and you're just now hearing this, then God bless you. You've tuned in the right time. Here are three facts of life. You ready? You ready? You ready? Three facts of life. If you're writing it down, this might be something you might want to write. We live in a fallen world. The enemy, Satan, he, he is the enemy, and, and this is a fallen world, and because of sin, everyone, and here's the other fact, fact of life, every person is sin. Look, I'm a putz about a whole lot of stuff, man. I am a person that has got a lot of hurts, 
habits, and hang-ups. That's a fact. Every person has sinned. The ninja pastor sins. I'm a broken person. Every person has sinned. Number one, we live in a fallen world. Number two, every person has sinned. And number three, and wherever there is sin, people hurt each other. I'm sorry to tell you, people hurt each other whenever there is sin. Hurting people hurt people. It's a fact. Sorry to break the news to you. No, I'm not. It's a lie. See, I told you I'm a sinner. I just lied about that. So there, so because of these three facts, we live in a, foreign, a fallen world. Every person is sin, and wherever there's sin, people hurt each other. Because of those three things, there has to be laws enacted to reduce the occurrences of people from hurting each other. God has authorized law and government as part of life. My good buddy, Philly Bob, who he just sent this to me, Romans 13.2 in the King James Version, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that... Resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Sometimes you got to resist, man. Bible says it very clear. God has authorized law and government as part of life. Just law and just government as part of life. He started by giving us the Ten Commandments. Right? But what's happened? What's happened? We, we've allowed, we as Christians have allowed the Ten Commandments to be taken down. What are the Ten Commandments? It says you should do this and you should not do this. Very clear. Do this, don't do that. God established in a fallen world, a fallen world where people are not perfect, there has to be laws. God has authorized government to enforce those laws because if there's no enforcement, the laws are worthless. Second Amendment, we have enough gun laws. Enforce the ones we have. Don't make up new ones. Don't supersede the Second Amendment, the only way we have to protect ourselves as a people from a tyrannical government. It says if you're doing good, you don't have to fear the law. But And, and you know what else? You don't have to fear the government. It, if you're doing the right thing, you don't have to fear them when government is doing the right thing. But you know what? If you if you break the law, you may well have to fear. Have you ever been driving? This is an example. Have you ever been, ever been driving down the freeway? All of a sudden, you see the blue and red lights behind you, and suddenly you're overcome with fear. Then the police car goes past you, and you're like, whew, and then you have that sort of you know shaky thing. Why did you get so uptight? You knew you weren't speeding. But you know what? You got uptight because you have a guilty conscience. If you never broke the law, you'd never be afraid of law enforcement. I don't need to fear because I don't break the law. The Bible says that God has established government to be the agent of enforcement to help citizens maintain the peace. Because we live in a world where people will hurt each other, so God says there's laws. For instance, the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. That means you have a right to private property, and so do other people. Most of the people in the world... Right now, if I ask reasonable people, as long as I stay out of, like, um, I don't know, Yale, Harvard, all those places. My buddy Jesse Waters now has his own show, uh, Waters World. It, you know, he goes to these places, Yale and Harvard, and he, and he asks questions. These people are supposed to be the smartest, smartest kids in the world, right? Best colleges in the world, and he asks them questions they could never answer them. Sickening. The Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. You have a right to private property, so do other people. But most of the world would agree, as long as you stay out of like Yale and Harvard and those types of places, I want to take the world's freedom and force them to convert to Islam. So I'm just going to go in, I'm going to force Islam upon these people, or I'm going to kill everybody. I'll just take by compliance, I'll take my compliance by force because I want it, right? You would agree that that is what ISIS has said. That, that is what ISIS is doing. 
One good law that says you don't steal somebody else's country agrees with the Bible. That's a good law. You know, you can't go in and steal somebody's country. The whole world agrees with this except Islam and a couple of kooks and uninformed idiots and the president of our country. You don't go in and take over somebody's country by force for no reason. We shouldn't do it for no good reason. Islam shouldn't do it for no good reason. I, look, I'm, 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 I'm kind of hawkish, but I'm by no means, hey, let's go in and let's risk the blood and treasure. Let's create more gold star moms and dads and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives. Let, let's, let's create more of the six people that now have to suffer Christmas by going to Dover, Delaware to receive their, their murdered soldiers. Last Christmas was the last one they'll ever celebrate. I'm not for it. I'm not for it. Look, I I don't want to. In that in that sense, I'm somewhat libertarian because I look. We better we better be right. But if we're going to go to war, we better darn sure go to war to win, and that means the politicians stay out of it. Let the war fighters fight the war. You don't go in and take somebody's country over by force if you if there's not a good reason. And we shouldn't do it for good reason. Islam shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it. The Bible says there are agents to bring about punishments for wrongdoers. People ask me all the time, does the Sixth Amendment say thou shalt not kill? No, it does not. It says thou shalt not murder. And that word is used 47 times in the Bible, and it always means murder. So that brings up the question, is there a difference between killing and and murder, absolutely. C.S. Lewis says, all killing is no more murder than all sexual in- intercourse is adultery. There's a difference. Many times in the Old Testament, God commanded capital punishment for certain kinds of crimes. When is it right to kill our enemy? When is it right? I'll tell you when. It's right in order to bring about justice. It's right to kill our enemy to preserve freedom. It's right to kill our enemy to reduce evil in the world. Look, I want you to be a warrior. I want you to decide. I want you to resolve. I want you to stand. There's lots of wicked stuff out there. And it's coming for us. It's among us. I hope I've been clear. The Bible has been very clear. Something wicked comes our way. Something 
The Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean. Welcome back, welcome back. That was Madison Rising, The Boys. That's from the Red Album. And I'm telling you, it rocks and rolls, does it not? Something wicked this way comes. Do you understand that, look, and I hope I've been clear. I I hope that today's show has been pointedly clear that, look, man, fear. I I think a lot of times people who don't identify, look, you can't fear not, only believe, if you don't know what it is you're supposed to fear. Fear. What point is Christmas if if it doesn't if it doesn't change us at all? 
you know, I just gave you tons of scriptures and, and, and accurate biblical interpretation and translation. But, and, and I kind of laid it out here. There's some things that are worse than war. Sometimes we do have to go to war. But we have to fear. We can't fear doing the right thing. But you know what? You've got to know the right thing in order to do the right thing. When you know better, you do better. If you want to. Remember I told you, sometimes in order to defend innocent people, you got to get it done. you got to get out there and you got to let the warfighter and the sheepdog. Nobody likes to see how the sheepdog does what it does. Nobody does. Scurry business. Let the warfighters fight. But you know what? And, and sometimes, like in Proverbs twenty-one fifteen, sometimes we're the ones who are the innocent ones we're defending. But you bet darn well, you darn well better be innocent. Remember what I said: peace at any price isn't peace; it's appeasement. For far too long, we have allowed the people that are in charge of this nation that that sadly we have we have placed in charge of this nation. We've allowed them to. We're going to contain ISIS. Sickening. It's absolutely sickening. What in the world does Christmas mean, folks? I, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, for this, this family, these six folks, these six, you know, precious Americans working with the, with the, uh, the American flag on their shoulder. They're coming home with a flag-draped casket. What did they believe in? They believed that serving our country was reason enough. They believed that that protecting our country from Islam was enough. Their children, their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters, their neighbors and friends. They believed it was enough. They said, look, we got to do what we got to do to defend innocent people. When you send your folks to war, you darn war better, let them know. We support you for real. We equip you for real. Go do what you got to do. Thank you for doing it because it's not all of us can do it. Edmund Burke, I, I said this just a few minutes ago. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. You remember the John Stuart Mills quote, a man who has nothing which he is willing to fight for, nothing which he cares about more than his personal safety is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free. Folks, I know a lot of skinny jeans wearing folks. Skinny jeans wearing folks. Sadly, many of whom are in the in the uh pulpits all across America. And you know what they say there's nothing worth fighting for. And you know what? They'll never be free. They'll never be free. And you can't te- you can't teach the freedom of the cross. Teach the freedom of the cross if you don't believe there's nothing worth fighting for. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes you got to go to war. You got to stop the spread of evil by going to war. You got to say you're not going one step further. Not one step further. You understand, folks, and, and and those of you who have listened to this show for any length of time, you know, I give you it from, I've read the Quran, uh, what now, I think, I think I've read it fully and completely three times. 
and Umdad Asalik, which is the Reliance of the Traveler, all don't pay a dime for them. You can download them free from the Internet. Don't give those people not even one dime. But you can read them, Surah 9. Surah 9.5, the verse of the sword, slay the idolaters wherever you find them. 9.6, afterward convey them to a place of safety. Those who submit and convert to Islam will be treated well. Those who do not submit will be killed. Surah 9, 7, 7 through 9 deals with how can there be any treaty for others. Don't make treaties with non-Muslims. They're all evildoers and shouldn't be trusted. Look, you, you've got to understand, folks, you've got to understand that when you trust when you trust the president of this country, Barack Hussein Obama, you are submitting yourself to something evil. You understand that, right? You're submitting yourself to something evil. Because I'm here to tell you, he has laid us bare and made us incredible targets. For Islam. I told you earlier about the three books. Uh, I'm doing these ebooks: "Pain in the Christian Life: My Journey." As many of you know me, I'm uh, I'm in chronic, chronic pain. I was in a horrible, horrible crash, and as a result of that, I live with terrible pain all the time, 24/7. I'm writing a book about that. What What does a Christian do, living and dealing with a life full of pain? Then the other uh, book that I'm doing, "Fear for the Christian." In a fearful world. Fear for the Christian in a fearful world. These are going to be totally interactive, by the way. It's going to be a really, really cool thing. Really, really cool thing. We're going to make it neat. We're going to have some amazing illustrations. Professional artist is, uh, is going to be doing them. Really, really, really awesome. Good, good stuff. Then the last ebook is going to be belief as in belief and hesitant faith. Hesitant faith, no faith at all. How to believe in an unbelievable world. That's not going to be the whole title. We're working on that. How to believe in an unbelievable world. I, th- I think we haven't uh, we haven't actually identified what exactly the price points will be. Uh, we know it'll be a great value for you. That's how we do things. But um, they will be like a downloadable thing. So you're gonna, it's not something that you're going to – we will make uh, – if you were to call me to come speak at your group uh, or your organization or I was going to do a seminar or something like that, you know, I would bring hard copies of these books or soft covers and uh, paperbacks, they call them, um, and I would – you know, sign them or whatever at the thing. It's part of doing the seminar. We'll make it easy for you. So on the on the ebooks, if you just order the ebook, uh, you're going to have links. There'll be video. There'll be all kinds of stuff. It's really going to be a cool thing. But I don't think it's going to be any more. Um, you know, the interweb is awesome. We can redeem it for for God's service. We can we we can redeem it for good. So it, it's going to be a really cool thing. So three three ebooks coming your way.
I'm, I'm thinking none of them are going to be more than, I don't know, nine bucks, maybe, maybe even less than that. If I, if there's a way for me to make it less than that, I certainly will. We had to, uh, we had to trademark and register uh, the Ninja Pastor because we're doing these eBooks, and you know, if you've ever dealt with trademarking and all of that stuff, it's very expensive. It's over seven hundred dollars. Um, because once you put it out there like that, it has to be protected, copyrighted, and all those things. You know, I'd love to do it for two dollars and ninety-nine cents. By the way, the books. I don't know if we can, just because, you know, it, it we have to we have to earn back our what we spend on it. What you know, it's it's not free to produce and it's not free to market and it's not free to do all those things. But you know, if we can do it for that, we absolutely will. I want to go back to something really fast, and then I want to close with a soldier's Christmas from Madison Rising, madisonrising.com, theninjapastor.com, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. There's links all there. Um, listen, they're an awesome band, and they're doing awesome things. But this song, Soldier's Christmas, I, folks, there are lots of, lots of families out there right now are crushed under the weight of immeasurable grief because they've lost their soldier. I really appreciate you listening. I want you to know that as we go into Christmas, I I want you to know that I appreciate you. Your encouragement, a lot of folks reach out. They they write uh, very encouraging notes telling us what this ministry does for them and their families. We have entire families that that get together on Sunday nights and on Monday nights, and and, and as a family, they sit at their table, and they listen to the Ninja Pastor prattle on. Thank you, and God bless you. Listen, folks, be a warrior. You've got to decide, resolve, and stand. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Falling back home where I'm from Thanksgiving's come, Thanksgiving's gone And my family tells stories around their Christmas tree In the warm living room on Christmas Eve And the candlelight shimmers as I write down the song Please fall away family and home as the pen hits the paper Shadows grow long, but I stay here a soldier. Just me and my gun on this Christmas, I'll tell you truth in my heart. From a place that's forgotten, time, God, and love, I'll stay here, man. My word and faith, there's nothing in this world that I wouldn't trade to go home. Country on earth.
falling back home where I'm from. Thanksgiving's come, Thanksgiving's gone, but I steam the fight. I'll soldier on for the ones who will never. 